There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to break open discussion about what a society, perhaps you could say, is supposed to look like when God is in the mix. As you know, there are forces that are trying right now, even as we speak, trying to silence the Christian voice and remove any reference to God from many of the institutions that we've taken for granted. There are even moves to remove references to our Christian history from the education curriculum. But what are the anti-Christian activists wanting to replace the God of the Bible with? As Christians, we might argue that a godly society brings human flourishing. But a godless society is destined to be ruled by tyrants. We might be encouraged that the Bible sees government as an institution established by God. We'll talk about what that means in the conversation just ahead. The primary role of government, according to Scripture, is to promote justice for its citizens, protecting the innocent from the aggressor and the lawless. Well, today we're going to be talking about God and government with legal philosopher Professor Augusto Zimmerman. He's head of law at Sheridan College in Perth. He's also adjunct law professor at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, Sydney campus and president of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association. Augusto Zimmerman, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Augusto, why do you think that Christian views of society and Christian views of government actually work and other forms don't? I wonder if we might start with a sort of a general uh, perception from you here, because some people will be thinking, well, what good is it that if you acknowledge God in government? But let's talk about why a Christian view might be important. Well, because uh, if you don't place God at the center of the system, then the law is a product of human creation or elaboration. And this can lead to all sorts of unintended consequences and even turning the government into a form of deity where the laws of the state become the ultimate source of reference for legality. But the law of God is not the law of oppression because God is a God of liberty. And Paul is very clear in his uh, um, uh, letter to the Galatians that if God has made us free, so free we should remain and make sure that we are not led to the path that leads to political tyranny and eventually leads to the destruction of our society. Interesting to say the alternative is to have a state where the state is a form of deity and we might be able to point to 
the state like North Korea or what's developing in China as the alternative to what you've got when you have the Christian God who is the deity, uh, the one who is above all, and sometimes uh, we like to uh, use that terminology, the transcendent God. Uh, But there are some examples that you can point to today on the face of the earth where these sorts of things that you've just mentioned, we can see them happening, Augusto. Absolutely, and you gave the examples that are very clear to everyone, uh, the example of North Korea. But this is also happening in a certain measure, even in Australia, where people believe that the state is the ultimate provider of all things, expecting all sorts of benefits to come from state. The problem is that when the state is uh, so big and big enough to do all things that you desire to receive from government, apart from these uh, removing your sense of individual responsibility, uh, that leads also to uh, excessive growth of governmental power. And Lord Acto, uh, a Catholic uh, uh, English thinker of the 19th century, uh, put it very clearly that uh, the power, um, the excessive power, power corrupts, excessive power corrupts absolutely. So we have to be bear in mind that according to the biblical worldview, uh, God has created a limited government and ultimately designed for the protection of the inalienable rights of the individual. In particular, I refer to the rights to life, liberty, and property. They are not created by the state, so the state cannot take away these rights. The state does not give, the state does not take away, and so we can bless the name of the Lord and not the name of the state. We might talk, Augusto, and I'm interested in your perception here because it seems to be that there are some who are just letting it happen. You can observe this from the sidelines and say, well, I can see where God is being removed out of Australian society, uh, where you know those who want to be opponents of the Christian church and take God out of the curriculum, even taking Australia's Christian history out of our education curriculum. And some will be thinking, is it worth fighting for because we're not talking about a fairy tale kingdom of God here this is the real McCoy isn't it uh, the idea of is it worth fighting for a Christian view of governance what are your thoughts well all it takes for tyranny to prevail is for those who are good to decide to be allowing this to go ahead without resistance And God has taught us that there is a room for resistance against tyranny. You have, for instance, the example of the midwives in Egypt who refused to obey Pharaoh's order to kill the Hebrew Hebrew babies. Uh, The Bible is very clear that they fear God rather than the king of Egypt. And you have other examples, for instance, of the three Hebrews uh, who did not obey the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when he ordered uh, everyone to bow down to and worship him in his golden image. Uh, we have the example also of the apostles' attitude towards the Sanhedrin. Uh, that is a Jewish uh, council of priests in those days. And uh, Peter was summoned by this uh, uh, council and uh, required to stop preaching the gospel and announcing the message of freedom. And then Peter boldly stated that uh, we must obey God rather than human tyrants. 
we have sometimes, and this is actually uh, justifiable by Scripture, to resist attempts to uh, ec the exercise of the power of the state in a tyrannical fashion. And that happens when the law of God is disregarded. And then uh, human rulers decided to use their powers for the purpose of exercising political tyranny. Well, interesting, isn't it, that there might be a certain group of Christians who'll say, we don't grubby our hands with getting involved in politics, but the Bible has so much to say about government. In fact, as Christians, we might understand that government is an institution of God. How do you, how do you come to a realisation as a Christian believer that if you don't involve yourself in government, you're actually missing a big part of what God has destined us for as salt and light in communities? Well, we have the moral obligation to fight for justice. And Wilberforce could be used as a good example because uh, when he uh, uh, became a born-again Christian, uh, he thought that it would be perhaps a better idea for him to be a, a pastor uh, and uh, in a small church, uh, probably uh, in, the, uh, uh, in England. But uh, then he had an interaction with um, uh, Newton, uh, what's his name? The the person who John um, John uh, Newton John Newton John Newton the the composer of uh, Amazing Grace, and he convinced uh, Wilberforce to stay in his political career, fighting against injustice, fighting against slavery, which eventually came to an end in the 18, in the I think it was 1833. But what I have to say about this is that uh, Wilberforce had a, a proper idea that um, as a committed Christian, he should fight against injustice. And it was very important what he did, because then uh, England was the first country to abolish slavery in the modern world. Slavery was pra practiced in many other countries and continues to be so in some Muslim countries, such as Sudan and Somalia, for instance. Uh, I must say that... Uh, Slavery was only ended in Saudi Arabia in 1962, but Wilberforce spent his entire career fighting against slavery, fighting against injustice, because he thought he had a proper understanding in his belief that human beings are all created in the image of God, and everyone is worth of, of being a recipient of the dignity that God has provided. But Augusto, we're called, aren't we, from the Scriptures to submit to the government, to submit to the authorities, and we see this as one of those callings on the Christian to be a good citizen submitted to the government. Uh, but is, there, is this conditional? Because when we talk about good government and bad government, because when you talk about bad laws and you say those need to be resisted, uh, what do we, what, how do we see Christians in the mix here, submitting to the government but also resisting bad laws? Well, it's a very clear uh, mandate of the Lord that we, we have to um, uh, strive at least to, for uh, the protection of these fundamental rights and freedoms that were created ultimately by a benevolent God. Um, we were created by a benevolent God. And so God has provided us with certain inalienable rights, the rights to life, liberty, and property. And uh, this understanding of these uh, uh, inalienable rights 
is what led to the development of the rule of law in the West. And the first instance of um, protection of these fundamental rights against, uh, I would say, tyrannical exercise of power happened in the fourth century when Bishop Ambrose of Milan actually forced a Roman emperor, the, the name of this emperor was Theodosius, to repent of his massacre of uh, 7,000 innocent people. The emperor refused to repent, and then what Bishop Ambrose did was quite extraordinary and remarkable, because he expelled him from the church and excommunicated uh, the Roman emperor. As a result, the emperor was actually forced to repent in front of the bishop's cathedral. This is something that provides, uh, in my opinion, a demonstration that uh, Christianity has exercised a unique influence in the idea that no one is above the law. And as a result of this, Lord Brecton, in the 13th century, and we have to bear in mind that Henry de Brecton, so Henry de Brecton wrote the first treatise on the common law, uh, ever written, he said very clearly that the the king is under God and the law because the law makes him king. And what he meant by that is that the law of the of God is perfect, reviving the human soul, and we have to stand them fast to uh, the liberty that God has given to us. Uh, Augustine also makes the point quite clearly that an unjust law is actually not a law at all, but a contradiction in terms. Augusto, let's talk a negative scenario here, that what society looks like, and let's bring Australia into the mix here, because as we mentioned in the introduction, uh, so many things being taken away from Australian society that we would see as godly influence of the past. But the idea that God in his presence in the mix in government in a nation brings security, uh, there's a lot of things that are missing if you take God out of that. So let's, uh, let's talk about the risk of taking God out of the mix of government in Australian society. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think I have, uh, uh, in some way, uh, mentioned this point when I referred to Lord Acton, when he stated that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So this is a perspective that uh, inspires the formation of a constitutional order based on checks and balances. And what's happening in this country is that uh, this order is being uh, disrupted uh, in the name of a so-called uh, safety against a potential threat, the threat in this case of a virus. Uh, but uh, since everyone is born with a sinful nature, when you give too much power to human beings, guess what happens? Power becomes a corrupting force. And when uh, it's placed in, in human hands, we see even the Bible and history itself telling us that it can be potentially very harmful to society. Even David a man after God's own heart had to actually uh, be restrained by the prophet, prophet Nathan when he abused of his power. So the idea of separation of powers is completely biblical. And the drafters of the United States Constitution, the America Constitution, the America Founding Fathers, were very clear that this was a necessary thing to be established. What's happening in this country is that uh, the rulers are taking advantage of our naivety and increase their powers in a way 
that's potentially extremely dangerous for the maintenance, the protection of our fundamental rights and freedoms. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking God and government and you're welcome to join in our conversation today. 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have a critique. Our special guest, legal philosopher, Professor Augusto Zimmerman. And we're talking today really about what a society looks like when God is in the mix and what a society looks like if you take God out of the mix. Because in the introduction, you might have heard a little earlier saying that there are so many dimensions in which God is being taken out of the dimensions of Australian society. What might the upshot of that be? What are we headed for? And uh, in a nutshell, uh, we may be headed for tyranny governing us and not God governing us. Uh, Augusto Zimmerman is our guest. He's Professor Augusto Zimmerman, Head of Law at Sheridan College, also Adjunct Professor at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, and President of Western Australian Legal Theory Association. Uh, Augusto, there's even examples developing here in Australia where Uh, A loyalty to God is coming into a conflict to a loyalty to human rulers, and particularly in some circumstances in Victoria. But if we're talking about the Christian and political involvement here, where do our loyalties lie? Well, look, uh, that's the main problem that I have seen, uh, especially taking place now in Australia, is that some Christians are very inclined uh, to quote that particular passage in Romans 13 to justify compliance with unjust law. Uh, so, uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear when he states that uh, Christians must submit to governing authorities. And um, I think he says that there is no authority except that uh, the Lord has um, established. But uh, authorities have, uh, they exist to establish God's law. And consequently, uh, if they decide to infringe or um, abhor uh, the mandates that have been given by a higher authority, by rebelling against God, I mean, what happens is that these rulers uh, will be doing the opposite of what has been required of them. And the Bible says that the rulers who should hold no terror for those who do right, but um, should punish those who do wrong. But let's say that the government decides to do the opposite and to uh, punish those who do right and reward those who do wrong. Well, uh, Paul is not talking about this government, this kind of government that terrorizes those who do good, good and right. Uh, it's about a, a proper government that acts uh, according to the limits established by the rule of law. So, um, according to this uh, approach, what we can say here is that there is room for disobedience when the government acts in a tyrannical fashion. Uh, We see an example even of the Christian scholar Origen, who became a martyr in the 33rd century, even saying that when the law of man contradicts uh, the laws of God, especially when it is about the protection of the innocent, we have the right, a lawful right, to resist it. And when government governmental power increases, uh, 
we have the problem that liberty decreases, and liberty is something that has been given by us, not by human authority, but by God, and in accordance with God's natural order. We have to submit the power of the state, but we need to understand God, that God has placed such an authority under the rule of law for the protection of a God-given inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property. Augusto, just quickly some context here, because our conversation today, some people will say, oh, it's just about government, the state, but there are some other institutions under God which we would have to say are important, and I wonder whether we can get some context here, because oftentimes we'll talk about the church and we'll talk about the family as institutions also set up by God, and of course how the church and how the family then interacts with the state is going to be important, especially if the state is taking a lot of power and becoming uh, authoritative, uh, authoritarian in its approach. How do you think about these other institutions, church and family? Well, I think it's a very important point that uh, you, you make now, Neil, that uh, unfortunately the state, when it, when it increases in its uh, uh, approach and... and uh, and uh, in its capacity to um, act perhaps even excessively. Uh, The outcome is that um, these uh, so-called solicitude on the part of the state are going to cause um, decrease or suppression of or deterioration even of the moral character of individuals. Why is that so? Because people started to be too much relying and dependent on the actions of others. And as a result of that, we have sympathy and compassion weakening in the society. And you have people each day less requiring or requesting uh, the assistance of uh, the family and household. So you have uh, citizens become quite indifferent to his or her fellow citizens. They will, for instance, have the wife or the father not being so much committed to his or her household. So you have the situation here when government can actually make things much worse because by handing these uh, benefits, uh, so-called welfare checks, uh, then you're having a situation where there is an undermining of behavioral uh, attitudes that could be perhaps leading or tending to lead to a better improvement of social relations. Uh, So there is a huge moral cost of excessive intervention of the government on family relations. Important because those three levels work together, don't they? Family, church and state. And if they don't work together, as you're saying, then you've got an upset of the balances that happen right down into the family unit. Uh, Important considerations. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation today. The way a, a society looks when God is in the mix and the alternative, the way a society looks when God is not in the mix. Let's take a call. Anton is in North Queensland. Hello, Anton. Welcome. Hi. Uh, look, I've come in late, uh, so I'm not sure if you've actually covered this before, but history shows us that um, if humans don't have an absolute to aspire to, everything just becomes relative to whatever the situation is at that particular time. A really classic example at the moment is in Queensland where 
looking at late-term abortions and um, assisted dying. Uh, these were the same sort of policies that were uh, used by the Nazis under the term eugenics. And uh, less than 100 years after um, that war, the end of that war, suddenly, all of a sudden, instead of fighting it like we did during the war, um, we're now sort of espousing it, which seems actually ludicrous. So Anton, it's, it's a case of, yep. you're making an absolutely amazing point and absolutely being the, uh, the word in question here, this idea of uh, absolute understanding of things that don't change. Uh, your thoughts, Augusto, for Anton? Yeah, this is a, a very important point that he makes, and uh, what really concerns me at this point is when the government uh, not only uh, doesn't uh, establish laws in accordance with God's uh, higher standards, but it actually creates laws that incentivize people to commit sin and uh, even the, the, the crime of murder, for instance. So we have to bear in mind that Thomas Aquinas uh, could provide us a good answer to the question that um, the listener has so properly provided. Uh, it's that um, uh, we should consider that unjust laws are nothing but crooked laws, and people actually have no obligation to obey arbitrary commands that are based on uh, the will of those who are in power. What we have here is that, according to Aquinas, a law that um, allows for murder or perjury or adultery is not really law, so that everyone would actually have the right to disobey it, according to Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas. And political rulers who enact such unjust laws that uh, uh, endorse the killing of the innocent cease to be rightful authorities and become merely tyrants, according to this approach. Augusta, let's take a call from another caller. Talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Important conversation. Let's hear from Nick in St Albans in Victoria. Hello, Nick. Welcome. Hello. Thank you, Neil. Thank you that you give me a few minutes uh, to, tell, to answer your question. Do you think that the government promotes? You know, when government forget God and they apply God, then it's a catastrophe. And we in one already know, because if God stop this sickness, did you ever see that uh, on big occasion like now in Tokyo, this uh, 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 Olympic, they pray in school, private school, where my son was in St. Albans, in Victoria, uh, professors or teachers before go and, and, and meet the students, they pray to Lord. In this country, government stop all these things that if you go in council, for example, in Sunshine, that is our council, you're not allowed to talk religion. Hmm. Meaning, how in Christian country, in my country, adopted country, second country, I could not talk about God. I could not talk in, in, in communism that I come from Yugoslavia. But Nick. that was different. But in here... I come because of I want my children to have a Christian education because we remember from the Bible. Because Bible, I remember last time, I, as we, we, we heard, it's a biblical instruction before leaving earth. Meaning, 
Nick, so, you're making some great points here. And uh, as you say, Australia, your adopted country, your homeland, Yugoslavia. You came to Australia, you escaped communism in Yugoslavia, and you recognise the Christian values, and you can see what's being removed out of our society. Now, let's get a thought or two from Augusto Zimmerman. Augusto, uh, Nick's making a pretty powerful point there. He is seeing this happen today in Australian society. Uh, he is absolutely correct about uh, his uh, uh, view of the matter. And certainly that's my concern, the concern that I share with him. And um, I thank God for having uh, uh, the knowledge of people like him, people who came from overseas and um, very committed to their faith. Um, unfortunately, my church, for instance, where I go to, about 99% of the people were actually born overseas or uh, second generation of Australians. But um, that tells me how much we have lost in our Christian heritage. And the fact that I consider, still consider this country a Christian nation is uh, basically uh, based on the fact that um, our foundations are entirely Christian. The common law, as I have explained in my book, one of my books, is based on Christian values and principles. And uh, most of the uh, leading uh, exponents of the common law system were very committed Christians, and some of them even members of the church uh, uh, as priests and, and clerics in general. Uh, Lord Brecton is an example of that. And Sir Edward Cook, for instance, was an extremely committed man to the principles and values of Christianity. And most of the uh, principles that he uh, advocated are now part, intrinsic part of our legal system, which is under a huge attack. So we have to be uh, involved in the political process so that we can preserve a good and just government. And the involvement of Christian people can influence the government for the better. We should not be quiet. We should welcome all opportunities to participate in government and exercise a godly influence uh, so that we will be honoring God in the process. Our duty is to uh, be salt and light and to exercise the uh, capacity that God has given to us to bring Christian values to the public arena and act with faithfulness and uh, under the law of God so that we can remain obedient to God in our circumstances. Nick from St Albans in Victoria, I want to thank you so much for a good contribution on today's conversation. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. You can also respond on Facebook. The question that we're asking on Facebook today is this. Do you think good government promotes the inclinations of sinful humanity or protects people from them, well, we might see some changes that are happening here in Australia. Augusto, just to draw your attention to what's happening in the state of Victoria, and it's not just Victoria, but other states are now lining up to do similar sorts of things, like Queensland uh, about to, uh, part of the uh, legislation they'll be voting on later this year around uh, the end-of-life issues, the issue of euthanasia, even stopping Christians from giving advice to people about not committing suicide. We've got in Victoria this issue with the conversion therapy laws that come into play in February next year, 
we've got the leader of the Presbyterian Church in Australia saying we're not going to listen to the government. We get our cues from God, not from government. There's a time coming, isn't there, very soon, where we are going to be put on the spot and needing to uh, either stand for God or kneel to the government. What are your thoughts for the developing things that are happening in Australia right now? Well, first of all, I must say that I'm actually absolutely delighted to hear that the Presbyterian Church is taking this important uh, uh, role in uh, advocating for the sovereignty of God in these matters. And I am particularly happy because I happen to be, in the past, a member of the Church and Nation Committee in the Presbyterian the Victorian Presbyterian Church, which was the policy, is the policy committee of the church, so, and uh, also involved in directions of government. I'm very delighted to hear about the uh, participation of Presbyterians in this debate. But people have the right to make decisions. Uh, God does not force anyone to follow his commands. So we are not saying that um, we should impose uh, our worldview upon others, but what God does is to love people. And love can never be oppressive. Love is unconditional. Love is gentle. So these conversion therapy laws, uh, they appear to me to be an attempt against the liberty of the individual. It is a one-way road where people can uh, wish to transition uh, to a particular sexual practice, which is obviously not endorsed by biblical instructions, but they remain to free to be being free to do so. The point is that those who wish to take a different path or a different road, they are not given the same freedom that they deserve. They are not allowed to do so, and neither those who try to assist them in the exercise of this individual freedom to make such a decision. So this is an attempt to undermine the right of the individual to be a free, individual, autonomous person to make his decision without the arbitrary interference of the state. When the government and the power of the government increases, guess what? Individual liberty must decrease as a result because of excessive governmental power, because it inevitably diminishes the power of personal choice and opportunity. It should be, as according to biblical mandate, a primary principle of government that the power of the state must be limited and limited enough so that it does not take too much of our rights and freedoms. If we're talking about limited power of the government, Augusto, is there some way that we can glean some biblical wisdom here into what areas the government ought to be responsible for and what areas the government ought to take hands off and uh, and allow the people, the families, the churches uh, to actually have that capacity to be involved, as we were talking earlier, in the context of what it is uh, for a godly society to flourish. Uh, is, there, is there a way that we can say uh, from a, a biblical foundation, what would the limitation on the government be? Well, above all, I can tell you that there are certain aspects of, of human life that are naturally ordained by God and that the state cannot legitimately have any control over these uh, uh, capacities of the individual. Uh, There is a hierarchy here established by God saying that the first loyalty of the individual is towards God, and the government comes second. 
And these are matters related to the application of biblical principles so that we can apply them in order to conduct uh, or lead society to a better outcome. So that every human conduct must be seen in accordance with the perspective of the Bible. And these ultimately lead to the enjoyment of inalienable I would say even uh, unalienable rights and freedoms that are protected by legally enforced authorities. The government uh, government has rules to be obeyed, and we have to obey the rules, but within the boundaries of a natural order, so that the authority that has been established by God to the state is uh, able to protect the rights that I have referred to. But when the state abuses of its authority and claims to have the ultimate power, that's when we remove the God from the equation, then the rulers become the final arbitrators of human life. And they must then act in a way that uh, is not based on the boundaries and principles that have been established by God under this hierarchy of powers and involvement of people according to this influence of government. Augusto, perhaps a personal uh, insight from you here, because a lot of listeners, I suspect, will say, we have a Christian prime minister, isn't that enough? Uh, but somehow or other, something doesn't appear to be going in a direction where we would say that those Christian foundations are being strengthened and established. In fact, most people, perhaps if they're making an assessment, might be saying that all around Australia right now, the Christian foundations are crumbling. And as our guest, uh, our caller, uh, said just recently, uh, just a few minutes back, uh, a catastrophe when God is rejected. The idea of a Christian prime minister, that's good, but he is just one of many who are in a political governance role. What are your thoughts for the fact that we have a Christian prime minister, but things don't seem to be going in a strengthening way, but actually weakening? Well, this is a very valid point, and um, it's not good enough for a person to claim to be a Christian. But he has to know and be competent enough to exercise his power and authority according to the principles uh, established in Scripture. Uh, I wouldn't like to have a Christian who is not uh, experienced in uh, the capacity or the authority that uh, is uh, proper to exercise a particular role, for instance, to um, pilot an airplane, to be doing so with me inside this airplane. So we need to have, indeed, uh, Christians involved in the political process, but the Bible is very clear that these Christians need, first of all, uh, to be able to renew their minds and to be able to give an answer to the questions that are um, provided uh, to him by those who wish to obtain the proper answers in accordance with Scripture. So what we need to do in, in ways, uh, in many senses, is to actually develop a biblical worldview so that can uh, this worldview be used for the benefit of the society and the advancement of the common good. Uh, it's not, as I say, good enough to have a person who claims to be a Christian and end up not uh, acting as such 
or approaching the matters of relevance to the society according to a, a worldview that's not entirely in accordance with the biblical principles. So if we're looking for ways that there might be a practical application of that sort of wisdom, uh, I'm thinking in the Old Testament there were prophets who were raised up to deliver the word of the Lord to the king, because the king was, you know, as we understand from the Old Testament, uh, God was the king of the children of Israel. But then the children of Israel wanted their own king, and eventually Saul was made the king. And then there was succession of good kings and bad kings, but there were prophets in the mix there all the way through, bringing the word of the Lord to the king. Is there an equivalent, do you think, today, Augusto, of the the need to be able to bring this biblical wisdom to the king? Absolutely. And uh, when you mentioned the, the uh, episode of Samuel, uh, and Samuel uh, was uh, uh, instructed by God to tell the, the Hebrew people that uh, the choice of uh, having a king, a human king, Rather, the, rather than God as a king, would lead to uh, all sorts of unintended consequences and disastrous results. And, uh, and history uh, demonstrated that God was uh, uh, being uh, mercifully providing uh, uh, an expectation as to what would happen uh, for the Hebrew people. So God didn't want them to have a king in order to worship this king rather than God himself. And uh, before the uh, institution of the kingship, uh, what the Hebrews had were judges who were making decisions according to God's law. But once they decided to have a king, as you say, Neil, they started to have all sorts of very terrible, good good kings, but also very terrible ones. And uh, even the good kings sometimes committed terrible mistakes. And I can refer, for instance, to what uh, uh, David did, uh, even committing adultery and killing the innocent uh, person in the process, an innocent person. And he was admonished by Nathan. So it's not good for me enough to see Christians praising a prime minister when he perhaps does something that's not entirely biblical, because that's not in scripture. Uh, The prophet uh, Nathan was very clear that David had, and David was a man who really loved the Lord, as you know, he wrote the Psalms, but that was not sufficient to uh, make Nathan silent when uh, David committed a terrible sin. And Nathan admonished uh, David and said that he had to repent and start doing and correcting himself. And that was a very good thing because David did so. He repented and the order was re- the proper order was reestablished in the kingdom. So we have as much as much as possible uh, to admonish uh, our rulers, even if they happen to be if they happen to be Christians, to correct their course of action when they are doing something that's intrinsically wrong. Well, it is complicated to connect all the dots, but you've been wonderful in the way that you've been able to talk about how those dots are connected today, Augusto. It does start with a personal responsibility. We've got responsibilities with our families, responsibilities in our local churches, responsibilities in our broader community, and that's where we start to then engage with the political process of who represents us in our 
federal government, in our state governments, in our local governments. Those are all important aspects of that as well. If we come back to the question that I've been asking listeners to respond to today on our Facebook page, uh, the question I'm asking there, Augusto, do you think good government promotes the inclinations of sinful humanity or protects people from them? I wonder whether you've got a comment here. Is government at federal and state level uh, particularly uh, promoting the inclinations of sinful humanity right now or are they protecting people from the inclinations of sinful humanity? What are your thoughts, Augusto? Well, it's quite clear that um, the government is uh, incentivizing the promotion of uh, vice rather than virtue. And this is something that uh, grieves my heart, but certainly grieves the heart of the Lord because we have eternal and fixed standards of justice that were established by God. And God insists that the innocent must be always protected against evil or from evil. Uh, We should have laws that uh, punish people who commit murder, adultery, and uh, child molestation, drug, drug trafficking, and so forth. Unfortunately, what's happening in this country is that some passages, even uh, very important uh, uh, directions in the commands of the Lord found in the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, are being violated. Uh, we have, for instance, not no longer the punishment of people who commit adultery, for instance. Uh, it's, uh, some people who do so can actually be rewarded as a result. And we have a no-fault divorce where the institution of marriage has even ceased to be a normal contract where a person who breaches the contract uh, is liable to some sort of penalty. Here we have the reward of people who breaches this contract. And the, the marriage has ceased to be uh, just a contract, even it's no longer. It's lesser than that because, um, as I have mentioned, uh, uh, the contract is uh, not enforceable. So we have so many things that you have to bear in mind that are leading to uh, the destruction of this society and eventually leading people astray. Because I can tell you one thing, and I think it's important before I finish this conversation. Law cannot redeem people. Law cannot save people. But law can instruct people in the wrong direction and lead people to the path that eventually you will give them terrible results and lead to the path to to destruction in the end of the day. Well, strong thoughts to finish on. The law is an instructor and laws are changing right now that are away from the godly foundation that we're saying through this past hour builds a flourishing society. And so as uh, those uh, those who have contributed to our conversation, even suggesting a catastrophe when God is rejected, and uh, perhaps it's not too late. Perhaps we all take note of where our own heart is in that, where we are with our families, with our local churches, with our communities, and with our way that we engage with government at all levels. That Facebook question you can continue to respond to beyond our conversation today, asking, do you think good government government promotes the inclinations of sinful humanity or protects people from them. Our special guest through this past hour is legal philosopher Professor Augusto Zimmerman. He's head of law at Sheridan College in Perth. 
Uh, he's also the president of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association. Uh, you did uh, hear him correctly when he says he's authored three volumes, The Christian Foundations of the Common Law. Uh, wrote for the uh, for, uh, for for Great Britain, for the USA, and for Australia. Three volumes there, and you've got some more writing projects already underway as well. Uh, one of those will be uh, with uh, with the emeritus professor Gabriel Mowens, who's going to be our guest in just a short while away, uh, a couple of weeks away, I think it is, uh, talking about uh, the desecration of national monuments and what that means around the world. Uh, some powerful things coming. And some exciting times ahead too for those who want to roll up their sleeves and be a part of what's happening in the activity in our nation as things develop in an ungodly way because we're headed for some rough waters. Uh, Always good getting your insights. Uh, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking some time to share those with us today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil, and God bless you and your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.